From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. The coronavirus pandemic has, of course, had a huge impact on nearly all of our lives. For example, I'm recording today's podcast from my living room instead of our typical newsroom studio. But the pandemic is also going to have a big impact on tax and accounting. And as we record this podcast on the morning of March 19th, Congress is drafting another economic stimulus package that could include numerous tax provisions. Though it may not feel like it right now, there are a lot of other things going on in the world of tax and accounting. And today we're going to get into another hot topic, the Supreme Court's 2018 Wayfair decision. That landmark decision allowed states to tax companies that don't have a physical presence within their boundaries and it caused major headaches for businesses large and small who now may be subject to the tax laws of dozens of different states. Andy Kim's job is to sort through this altered landscape and make sense of it. Kim is a House Democrat from New Jersey who chairs a small business subcommittee that deals with tax issues. The congressman spoke with Bloomberg Tax's David Jolly last week about the havoc that the Wayfair decision has unleashed and about what Congress is prepared to do about it. Small businesses across this country are just being overwhelmed uh, by uh, what happened after the Wayfair decision, uh, that these are small businesses that are just uh, already struggling, already making, already having it difficult for them to, to navigate in this economy. And this burden is, is something that is just... Uh, adding on top of that and, and really straining their capacity. I mean, hearing from business owners that have to uh, spend an enormous amount of their time uh, to try to uh, track this all. And then, you know, I remember some of them saying, you know, they go through all this time, all the compliance costs, and in the end it was, you know, maybe a, a couple hundred dollars that they were on the hook for. The compliance and the time that it took was far beyond what they actually uh, ended up having to owe. Um, so what they were what they were asking for really just comes down to fairness. You know, they just want to be treated fairly uh, through this process. They're not trying to uh, hide in terms of paying taxes if if that's what is is due. Uh, but it's just you know such a difficult process. And I think hearing straight from business owners was particularly powerful. Since Wayfair, states have seemed pretty cool to the idea of having com- Congress get involved perhaps understandably, since they've been asking for help for years and never got it. Is it possible to get states on board now, now that they have Wayfair remote sales tax authority and market facilit- marketplace facilitator laws? Well, I think it, sh- it should be something that's in the, the state's uh, interest as well. I mean, it'll help the revenue of states, being able to, to get uh, some of the revenue that they should be getting. Uh, rather than having a process right now that is is frankly uh, alienating uh, literally uh, uh, you know significant number of small businesses around the country, so I think everybody really benefits from having a, a simpler system. There was a lot of talk in the committee subcommittee about uh, having a, a uniform threshold. Is that something that the the federal government that Congress should legislate, or is that something that? should be worked out with, like, the multi-state tax commission. Yeah, there are a couple different ideas that came out from the hearing. So, you know, we've made no decision in terms of which specific way forward. But I think all in all, across the board, what we're hearing is, is people want something that is simple, something that is predictable, um, something that is not going to overly burden um, small businesses, 
regarding their time as well as regarding their resources should be commensurate and proportional to uh, to uh, to the, what, what what they financially owe, and it shouldn't have to be something that overly burdens them from from that side on the compliance. So you know we're we're looking at those are the the values that we're trying to follow through on. Now it's a matter of finding the right mechanism to be able to do so. And look, I want to do it in a way that me and the ranking member uh, from the other side of the aisle, Mr. Hearn from Oklahoma, we want to do it in a way that, that respects states and, and has them have them in the process too. So we have a number of traps we're trying to run right now and trying to find the right way forward. But I think still laying out those uh, key line uh, values that we want to focus in on uh, has been helpful to guide us. Let me ask a sort of a devil's advocate question. Are you suspicious at all of the motives of some of the, the parties, some of the sellers that are coming before your subcommittee? Aren't these businesses just trying to avoid paying taxes? Well, the people that we've talked to so far um, are, are just um, you know, hardworking business owners. Uh, I have no reason to suspect that the people we've been engaging on are doing this in any way. I, in fact, would imagine they wouldn't be talking publicly uh, about, you know, their what their what how much money their companies make, what states they're operating within, uh, if they wanted to try to, uh, uh, you know, hide uh, what they owe or anything of that nature. We've heard very specifically. In fact, right here in this office, I had. A business owner from uh, my own district. Um, she has a small business called Staccato, um, and she uh, put forward testimony as well, written testimony to uh, to our committee. You know, she very point blank said, "Like, look, like I I want to be I want to you know pay my fair share if if that's what it is, but it just it's so hard for her to to calculate everything, to understand all the different forms, to deal with this on on such a, a different basis. Where you know you have states like Texas that literally have thousands of different tax jurisdictions. So uh, a lot of the folks that I've been talking to, um, you know, they're 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 honest business people and they want to do right. Um, they just simply can't keep up with the burdens of this. And it's actually getting to the point where some of them are saying that like, they're not sure they're going to be able to continue, uh, you know, especially if uh, a lot of states descend upon them and, and, and uh, having to um, take up a lot of their time on that front. So I have no reason to believe that, um, but, you know, look, we'll, we'll keep a close eye out on this. And, again, we're just coming at it from an, a from an aspect of what is fair, uh, and we certainly want to make sure that we use that as a guiding principle. That's it for this week's episode. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the coronavirus and its impact on tax and accounting at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website again is news.bloombergtax.com. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. Thank you for listening. Those nine justices in Washington, they can be pretty hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. So check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.